Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Continuum, a podcast that gets into the nitty-gritty in the world of money. I'm David Rath, Chief Investment Officer at Continuum Wealth Advisors, here to remind you that when it comes to your money, very few issues are black and white. Most things exist on a continuum. As we wrap up the year 2023, I thought it'd be an appropriate time to look back and see what we experienced throughout the year, both in the financial markets, but also we want to take a step back beyond just what the returns were in the different markets, such as the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, but really go through what the experience was of living through 2023. I find that there's a disconnect oftentimes between the results that we receive and the experience that we go through to, in order to receive those results. It's easy to look back in years past and say, okay, the stock market was up 7% this year, up 8% this other year. But that completely ignores what people live through to get those results. And we, of course, acknowledge that we are not robots. We are human beings and human beings are prone to emotion. So we need to acknowledge a different emo- the different emotions that we feel throughout the year. And so we're going to look back at 2023, some of the headlines. In order to do so, I've invited uh, David Rath, Chief Investment Officer and Partner here at Continuum Wealth Advisors. David, welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Well, I'm excited to have you because as someone who was in the trenches, so to speak, on a day-to-day basis with the markets and the sentiment of the markets, obviously you follow the trends. You're as well-versed in this as anyone that we could potentially speak to. So I think it's going to be really interesting to hear your perspective from the past year and look at it from a chronological perspective. So starting in the beginning of the year, some of the different news stories, what the different sentiments were at different time, and then go through the year. So David, with that, um, I think it makes sense to start in January of, of 2023. And we don't just start with January. We kind of have to look back and see what were people feeling as we entered, as we approached January 2023. What was their experience in 2022? So just take a moment to, re- to set the stage and remind people as we entered the year, what, what was the feeling? What was it like? What were we coming off of? 2022 was a very challenging year for most investors because not only did we see a decline in the stock market, but we saw a decline in the bond market as well. We saw interest rates get raised by the Fed at record pace in 2022. We saw inflation higher than we've seen in decades uh, during that year as a result of some of the policies that we saw during the coronavirus crisis. And so 2022 was a challenging year. And going into 2023, I think that the outlook was pretty bleak because going into the year, People were expecting that the actions taken by the Fed were going to have a restrictive effect on the economy. And there were many news outlets and many economists that had a 100% chance of recession in 2023. I am not a statistician, but I always like to say that never say zero or 100 because you can only look silly from that point on. And as we've seen this year, we did go through some challenging times, which we'll talk about. But I think it's safe to say that we avoided a recession during this year, and the market's results were definitely surprising for people who were expecting potentially catastrophic outcomes coming into the year. Absolutely. And and I think that's why it's good to have this type of discussion is to remind people. It's easy to look at the news and say, okay, it's December, the market's year-to-date are up 20-something percent and say, that's great. It was an easy year. But I think as we're going to go through, it was anything but an easy year. And as we approach this year, 
coming off such a devastating year that we had in 2022 and, and the major concerns that were out there. There were not a lot of folks that I spoke to that were excited about 2023 or look ahead and thought that, oh yeah, this is going to be a great year in the market. I want to be all in on stocks. I, I did not have any conversations like that with individuals. I'm not sure if you had any either. No. And I actually posted a question on one of the social media outlets about what the most contrarian take was coming into the year. So contrarian is anything that is opposite of the consensus. And the most consensus contrarian take was that the markets would do great. We would avoid a recession and that the companies that did the worst in 2022, the large cap technology companies, they would have an amazing year. That was the most contrarian take coming into this year. And that's actually exactly how it played out. It's not going to always play out with the contrarian take moving forward. But it was funny to see that everybody, what their expectations were coming into the year, it, is, it essentially played out the exact opposite. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up the fact that not only was 2022 such a difficult year in the markets overall, but some stocks were hit significantly worse than others. And, and some of the major stocks that were hit the worst were some of the stocks that were the most owned. Some of those big technology companies, those mega cap companies, those are the ones that had really struggled the most. So I think those are the ones people were most concerned about. And as we'll get into, those were the ones that had their best returns this year. But it is interesting to go back and, and have that frame of mind. And so that's where folks' mindset was to start the year. And if we look back at the news, in addition to the economic news, we still had geopolitical issues going on in, in Russia and Ukraine. That was certainly not letting up and still has not let up. So that was also hanging over everyone's head. And then in January, there was a U.S. default issue, if we recall that. And then March, there was some significant news that happened uh, with regional banks. Do you want to take folks through the different regional bank uh, crisis that took place then? It was definitely a scary time because it was an echo of what we saw in 2008 with bank failures. And the total size of all of the banks that have failed this year, I want to say they vastly exceed what the total bank failures from 2008 were. Of course, we're dealing with a larger pot of money, so it might not be an accurate comparison, but uh, Silicon Valley Bank that was the first domino to fall. And then there was others that followed that. And so there was a lot of talk about a widespread financial crisis starting. And it was really a change of direction from what we saw in the first two months of the year. For the first two months, we saw that the markets were doing well. We saw smaller companies, especially regional banks, doing well. And on a dime, it comes out of left field. Nobody's ever prepared for it. And Silicon Valley Bank failed almost overnight. And there were some other banks that failed in succession to that. And people were definitely worried about a redux of 2008 and 2009. Yeah. And I recall that time very clearly. I'm seeing messages from you on Saturday and Sunday as you were doing research on the different banks and what the potential ramifications were. I, I think it's fair for us to say that you have family members in the banking industry that you were speaking to at the time. Is, is that appropriate to say? Yeah. Yeah. I have my father's a, a higher up at one of the regional banks. So it was a tough time for everybody in our family. Yeah. And and I, I saw those notes on Sunday from you, the research you were doing as far as what could potentially happen. And, and I think a lot of folks thought, okay, we thought this year was going to be bad. Here's the news we were waiting for. Now things are about to tank. And, and while the market did decline at that point, it, it didn't lead to the complete recession that many folks thought. That's what took place in March. 
And then as we move forward, there was one interesting piece of news that also took place in March, and that was OpenAI launched ChatGBT, which we can get into a little bit. But do you want to talk a little bit about that at the time? And it didn't, it, it was in the news. It didn't dominate the news cycle quite as much at that point. But do you want to talk a little bit about what that meant for folks? If I were to pick one story for the year, it would probably be the introduction of this new phase of quote unquote artificial intelligence and how it affected the performance of different sectors of the market. And the turning point in all of this was right around March. So you had the smaller companies, the regional bank stocks, some of those smaller companies are more affected by higher interest rates, which were in place at the time. And then you had these large company technology stocks that a lot of them have some form of exposure to artificial intelligence. So you saw a changing of the guard almost on a dime in March. And these large cap technology stocks did very well from that point forward as everybody rushed into wanting a piece of them and wanting exposure in their portfolios. Yeah, and NVIDIA is uh, a major company in this space, and that's a company that I don't know if the common person would know what that company was going into 2023. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, but I think almost everyone is familiar with that name now because they seem to be the face of of that charge, and they had their major earnings report that took place in, uh, I believe, May or June, um, looking at the calendar here, and that's when that, that stock really started to take off and lead what would be referred to as the Magnificent Seven, uh, the Magnificent Seven stocks, which do you want to talk a little bit about the Magnificent Seven, who they are, as you alluded to earlier, how they led the charge? We love giving acronyms or catchy titles to groups of stocks ever since going back to the the 70s when we had the Nifty 50 and uh, other stocks along the way that we just like to take the best performing stocks and give them a sometimes cool sounding names, sometimes they don't make any sense at all. Like during the FANG times and <laughs> that got changed to M-A-M-A-A. So it's something for, for news people to write about. And essentially the performance of those seven stocks, those large com- company technology stocks dominated the performance of the market. And given the way that market indices are constructed, they had a significant influence on the return of those indexes. So if you're looking at the S&P 500, a lot of that performance is due to the performance of those stocks. That's not to say that other companies did not do well during the year, but because of their size, they have an undue influence on those indices. And so if we were to reverse and look at last year, they also had an undue influence, but it was on the other side. So we saw the technology-heavy NASDAQ down almost 35% last year. It's up around 50%, a little bit more than that so far this year. But we're just back to even. Uh, I think it just eclipsed to an all-time high uh, yesterday. And it's been a bumpy ride. But if you just truncate the time frame that you're looking at and year to year, one year was great, one year was not great, and mixing them together, and we're kind of flat from the the beginning of 2022. Yeah, that's. I was just reading a chart that illustrated that exactly. I think we're. I think it is up over fifty percent, and we're recording this on uh, December twentieth. Obviously, it could change by the time you watch this. But from January first of two thousand twenty-two, when you consider the drawdown that took place, I think it's up about four percent. So, if you invested in something January twenty-two and said, "Okay, it's going to be up four percent in two years," you'd say, "Okay, that sounds like not a lot of activity and a lot of action there." And it was the exact opposite of that. 
But the point that you make is these seven stocks were so outsized in driving returns that a lot of folks, unless they were concentrated, they didn't see those returns. If they had a diversified portfolio, if they were in other investments, they might see all the the S&P or the Dow is up this percentage. But unless they were all invested in the S&P or all invested in the Dow, chances are their portfolio was not in line with that particular investment. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And as I said, it cuts both ways. So the people who are celebrating their performance this year, if they were exposed to those types of companies, were not really talking about their returns in 2022, because those were the companies that did the worst. And so the big point or the big takeaway here is that evaluate your portfolio on much longer than a one year or a year to date timeframe, because we are invested for the long term. And we want to avoid those wild swings, avoid the 35% down and the 50% up to get a a 4% flat return, essentially. So the, the big takeaway is to realize how your portfolio is constructed, what you're tied to, and try to focus on those longer term timeframes instead of being caught up in some of the manias that occur in uh, shorter timeframes. Yep. And so as we continue throughout the year, the next step is I think about the dominant news stories as, as we enter the summer was, it, it's hard to remember it now, but the the wildfires in Canada, the impact they had across the United States. And we're, this is a financial program, but it did certainly impact finances. It impacted travel. It impacted a lot of individuals. If we think back to what the air quality was like, I remember seeing the pictures of New York City and the whole skyline just looked orange. And it was because of the fog that took place. And we think about people and what their mindset was. They couldn't travel. They were afraid to do certain things or go to certain areas. If they did go to New York City, you couldn't go outside at that point, if you remember, because it wasn't healthy. So it was a pretty crazy time in the summer here. It was kind of like an aftershock of COVID where everybody was staying inside and wearing masks when they were out and about. So yeah, it was definitely a weird time. I don't know if there's a tangible impact on the market, but it was definitely something that was, especially in the Northeast, hanging over our collective consciousness. And then later on in the summer, the next big event that I've got in my list here is the U.S. government credit rating being downgraded from a AAA to a AA plus. And again, for a lot of individuals, we haven't talked a lot about uh, the interest rate movement that took place throughout the year because there was certainly a lot of that. And that's something we can address at a higher level. But as that got downgraded, that was another kind of a lot of people thought, oh, is this the canary in the coal mine that says this is going to be the start of of the recession? And I don't know if if you recall what the experience was or what the sentiment was as, as we went through that. It was kind of funny to me being somebody in the industry because the S&P, which is probably more well-known to the the general population, they downgraded the U.S. debt in 2011. And that sent shockwaves through the market at that time. Moody's is probably a lot less well-known in in the general population. They waited another 12 years to, to make their move. I don't know exactly what caused them to make that that call right now, uh, given that there was already a downgrade done in place by one of the other rating agencies. But essentially, the and this is maybe a tangent, but the, the US government can essentially print money to fund its bills. It is constrained by the self-constraint, which is some of the debt ceiling talks that we've gone through, and also inflation. And so if they need money to pay their bills, Congress will pass through legislation to fund those. And then 
if they see too high of inflation, that's going to be the main constraint on them paying their debts back. So I don't think that it is a worry that is uh, well-founded uh, where people worry that the U.S. is going to pay their, their debts back. But there is other things to be concerned with if we keep spending money at the rate we are. And one of those that we saw last year is the rate of inflation that could potentially rear its head. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect segue because I think inflation, you mentioned some of the primary stories of 2023 when we look back on this historically, certainly artificial intelligence and companies starting to learn about what that is and integrate that into our deal. Not learn about what it is. I guess folks have known about it a long time, but it really started to be integrated into everyday life. And inflation this year was a major factor for a lot of folks. It led to many decision-making, a lot of decisions that were made by the Fed, the policies that were utilized there. So can you talk a little bit about the impact of inflation on the year, what you saw and, and what folks have experienced? It was a definitely different experience than we saw last year, because last year, I think we topped out at 9.1 on a year-over-year basis uh, for inflation, which was the highest that we've seen since the 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s. And this year, we've seen a downward trajectory in inflation. And this we talked about in a prior episode, but it doesn't mean that prices are falling if inflation is decreasing. There is a distinct difference between disinflation, which is the slowing rate of inflation, and inflation just means an increase in prices, and deflation, which is a decrease in prices. Now, this is something that people, including people that are in charge of our country, don't really understand uh, where they say inflation is decreasing. Why aren't prices going down? And that's just not how it works. And if we actually did see prices going down, it would be great in the short term because we would start getting stuff for cheaper. But then it is actually a bad thing because the spiral of people waiting for lower prices actually restricts the economy and people start losing their job because people aren't spending money. They're waiting for lower prices in the future. So a deflationary spiral is almost worse than inflation because it just puts the brakes on the economy. So we're seeing a disinflationary environment where inflation is now coming back down into the 3% range on a year-over-year -year basis. It's still higher than what the Fed would want, which is about a 2% inflation or something around there. So they're still considering what to do in the future. I think the consensus right now is they've stopped hiking their interest rates. There's even potential talk of them starting to cut rates in the future as inflation continues to dissipate. Yeah. You couldn't open the newspaper, turn on the news, or go to a website with uh, without hearing about inflation this year. And rate hikes is the other thing that you mentioned. There, there were a number of rate hikes that happened throughout the year. Um, and rate hikes are, for years, rates have been decreasing as far as interest rates and until a couple of years ago. And now we've started to see rate hikes. And we had historical rate hikes within the last 18 months, um, I would say. Does, is that accurate? Yeah, I don't think that they've ever gone up as fast and as far as they have in the last 18 months. We went from zero to 5.25 on the on the Fed funds rate, which is the interest rate which the Fed sets. And we saw corresponding rises in longer term interest rates like 10 and 30, which affect other things like the mortgage rate or rates that you're paying on your credit card balances. Yeah. And that's been a housing prices have been a huge uh, consideration because if you're paying twice as much interest 
on your mortgage, that's going to significantly impact the amount that you're able to pay because th- that's that many dollars less that's going to be going towards the balance of the principal. So it's going to be that much more expensive for that property to per, uh, to buy. And we haven't seen really a drop in housing prices to this point, uh, but that's something that we're going to certainly be keeping our eye on. Any other major stories, David, as you look back on 2023 or any big takeaways as you look at their year in review? So we did have the possibility of a government shutdown, which yep. I think is always going to be at the back of uh, every politician's uh, toolkit that they can wield that if their if their party is not in power they can choose not to open the government or not to approve the budget in addition to the debt ceiling talk that we've already discussed so they are coming up with new and innovative ways to grind our government or grind the economy to a halt by introducing these things that they always end up getting solved. And it's just, again, more fodder for the news channels. Yeah. So so to summarize, a geopolitical turmoil, and we haven't even gotten into the, the most recent geopolitical turmoil between Israel and, and uh, Palestine. So obviously major issues there. You've got uh, record interest rate hikes, uh, unprecedented interest rate hikes. Uh, you've got uh, scary environmental climates taking place. (laughs) And throughout all of that, what was the result in the stock market for this year? Stocks are up. Stocks are up. Bonds are up. Precious metals are up. It's been a good year to be invested. And I think that's the, again, the opposite of what everybody was expecting going into this year. When you have a consensus of a hundred percent recession, again, that's not a statistically sound prophecy to make, but it is something that was being plastered across every news channel coming into this year. And so I think it's been a huge surprise for most people to see markets do what they're doing this year. And I'll even take that one step further and say going into next year, we're going into next year on a a good note. We're, We're feeling good about the markets. I will say temper your expectations, not because I'm predicting any sort of downturn in the market or recession coming up, but we had the same exact situation going into 2022. We were coming off a great year in 2021. People were expecting the good times to continue. Recency bias plays out and we just expect that to continue indefinitely. And we saw a reversal of fortune. I think that the biggest takeaway from all of this is to have reasonable expectations for what your portfolio can do. Stick to whatever process that you've outlined for yourself. And that could be that you don't look at your portfolio, you contribute every two weeks to your 401k, and that's your investment process. And that's fine. The challenge or the mistake that a lot of people make is making short-term decisions with their long-term money and mixing up the timeframes. Because if you were to ask me or ask somebody on the street, what happened 20 years ago to this day, I don't know, there probably was a big news story in the world in 2003 that we weren't really paying attention or we've completely forgotten because it wasn't and didn't end up being that big of a deal. Yeah. And there's so many examples of that. And I love that messaging for folks. And so if there's a takeaway, I just want to reiterate exactly what David said, because he put it perfectly. If you were to ask somebody to make decisions based on how they feel in that moment, what they're going to do is look and say, okay, what happened yesterday? That's probably what's going to continue to happen. So let's just assume that's the case. We're terrible at extrapolating that. And so that's why you want to separate your emotions, your feelings from your investment decisions. 
And that's how you can receive the returns that we're talking about over time. You have to separate the experience that you're going through with what you're actually, what the results are that you're actually receiving. And if you can do that, you're going to receive those results and history has proven you're going to be, you're going to do well over the long term. But for those individuals who every time they see a news article and they get scared and they say, okay, this is the end, this is it, I got to get out of it. The stock market is resilient. The stock market is bigger than a news story. It's bigger than a political party. It's bigger than a lot of things. And it's overcome different presidencies. It's overcome many different things, different political issues, different geopolitical issues, different environmental issues, different economic issues. The stock market has seemed to prevail time and again. And so if you're going to bet against that, I I just tread lightly. But I like your idea of frame up what your goals are. Have your investments align with those goals. If it's a long-term goal, have a long-term investment. If it's a short-term goal, have a short-term, something that's more appropriate for a short-term investment. And just make sure that those things are aligned. And I think if you can take that away from this episode, hopefully we'll help you. Yeah, it's a great takeaway to have. Very good. Well, David, thank you so much for kind of summarizing 2023. I think you did an excellent job talking about not just what happened, but also the feelings of people as we were going through it, what the sentiment was in the market. And it's, I think it's a nice reminder to have. We did not think this was going to be a good year, yet, lo and behold, it was a great year in the market. That doesn't mean next year in 2024 is going to be a great year, David. I, I think your point is very well said. We have no idea what's going to happen. But don't just take, okay, it's been good for the last two weeks, so it's going to continue to be good. That's not what takes place. Have things aligned based on what your goals are. So with that, everyone, thank you so much for watching. Have a happy holidays, and we look forward to the new year in 2024. So David, thank you so much for joining. You're welcome. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks. Take care. Please note the information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Nothing discussed constitutes a recommendation. If you would like a review of your personal financial situation, please contact us at contwealth.com or call 518-583-4050.